Hi, Ben. Hi, Vera. How have you been? I've been good. I've been working on this podcast for the last couple of months, and I'm pretty excited. Do you want to tell everyone what's going on? Sure. So Vera and I have been producing with Rabbi Kasher the last year or more at this point of Best Book Ever. And he really wanted, after the first year, to change up the format a little bit. And we've got something new for you. It's it's not the usual weekly Parsha study. It's something different, a little broader, uh, where we talk to different members of our community about all things Torah. I don't know. What do you think? I'm pretty excited about what we've been making. <laughs> Me too. So should I queue it up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, without further ado, here's the episode. Yeah, and, and I've never killed you. That's true. I If anyone's gotten closer to killing the other one, it was me to you. Right, although I was I was stronger, so that never happened. You were, so that you were stronger, but I had less limits. And so we kind of evened each other out, which was kind of a nice homeostasis. Hi, I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Icar in Los Angeles, and you're listening to Best Book Ever. Have you ever killed your brother or sister? No? That's probably a good thing. But have you ever wanted to kill your brother or sister? If so, then have I got a book for you to read. It's the very first book of the Torah, in fact, the book of Genesis, and sibling rivalry, of all things, might just be the number one theme that runs through the book. It's right there from the start, Cain and Abel. The first siblings in the book are immediately in violent competition with one another, and it doesn't end well. But if that story was intended as a warning to future generations, well, that warning is certainly not heeded. Siblings will be battling each other for the rest of this book, fighting over their inheritance, competing for their parents' affection, and sometimes just plain hating each other. Why is Genesis so obsessed with this topic, I've always wondered. And what lessons are we supposed to be learning from these tales of sibling rivalry? Is it natural? Inevitable? Or is it something we're supposed to grow out of? And if so, how do we do that? I wanted to have a conversation around these questions, and it seemed to me that the most obvious person to discuss this with was my own sibling, my brother Moshe. Now, my brother and I are very close, and I wouldn't describe us as rivals, But we are very different in some ways, and growing up, we played very different roles in our family. So I figured we'd have a lot to draw on from our own experiences as we looked at these stories from Genesis. And my brother and I also have very different relationships to Judaism and different ways of reading these stories in the Torah. So I suspected that he would bring a unique perspective to the conversation. Now, as it so happens, even if Moshe wasn't my brother, he'd be a big score to have on the podcast. Because, as many of you know, my brother, Moshe Kasher, is a well-known comedian. He was always the funniest kid we knew growing up, and he took his razor-sharp wit and made a living off it. He's now a TV writer, a memoirist, and a stand-up comic, and he's exceptionally good at it. In fact, when it comes to crowd work in particular, the art of spontaneously riffing on a dialogue with the audience, I think he's the best in the business. So I also knew I would get from Moshe a lightning-quick mind and an ability to explore and process ideas in real time. And I knew it would be funny. And it was. 
but it was also deep, and I think we got to some really interesting places. We sat down together towards the end of the cycle of reading the book of Genesis and talked about some of the key sibling rivalry narratives throughout the book. We covered the stories of Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, and finally Joseph and his many brothers. And along the way, we discussed polyamory, parental narcissism, and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I think we eventually got to a vision for world peace. Not bad for one podcast. So take a listen. I hope you enjoy. One of the big themes in the Torah, especially in the book of Genesis, one of the big, big, big themes has to do with brothers, specifically brothers fighting, um, the theme of sibling rivalry. It's kind of striking how prominent it is right from the start. Genesis seems obsessed with uh, brothers fighting. So uh, so that's, I mean, that, 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 that I thought was a, a theme that was worthy of exploration and, and my own brother seemed like the right person to talk to about it. Um, this is also just a, this is a chance for me to force you to study Torah with me, which is also like a bonus here. And a chance for me to finally get out a lot of the rivalry I've felt towards you my entire life. Yeah, this is going to be some, some, this is going to be therapeutic. We're going to process some of our own deep tension. It's going to be awkward for the listener. Well, also, you know, uh, I know how passionate you are about Torah and about Judaism. And so I'm going to culminate some of that tension not in a modern therapeutic way, but in a more of a biblical way, which is either I will kill you, I will steal your um, future from you, or I will sell you into slavery. That's kind of how this is ending. <laughs> that is how it usually goes. And actually, you're well positioned here because you're the younger brother. If sibling rivalry is a theme, the, the con conclusion is often uh, that in that rivalry, it's the younger brother, the younger child who ascends to the top. So I think you're you're well positioned here. Yeah, I was also noticing how petty the grudge is and how severe the reaction is again and again. What is Cain upset about? Okay, so so let's start at the beginning. And then it really is almost the very beginning, right? There's Adam and Eve and then and then Cain and Abel. It's sort of the second real story in the Torah. And the idea is that Adam and Eve has these two kids. Um, Cain is the older brother. And Cain brings an offering to God. Cain offers up um, produce, actually. Some, some people think it's significant that Cain offered produce. And then Abel follows suit. He sort of see, he seems to see his brother offering something to God. And he comes and offers, but this time he offers uh, sheep, livestock. And God, it says, turns to, to Abel's offering and not to Cain's. And then Cain gets, eventually gets enraged. But at first it says, he gets sad, like his face falls. You know, there's something in here that like God's role in this is questionable also, because we're going to talk about how parents maybe play a role in this rivalry by favoring one child or another. And in this case, it seems like God is playing favorites with Abel. Um, but that's the deal is that Cain offered something and God didn't seem to accept it. And Abel offered something and God did. And Cain is just, he begins to hate his brother. Well, God is keto. Yeah, God's on a keto diet. And that's what a lot of people aren't seeing in this story. That's the reason. That's right. He doesn't want produce. The man is on 
he's on keto and he's getting going into ketosis. And I think maybe, maybe there's something there, David, to explore. Ah, this is like new, new insights into ancient stories that God may have been gluten free. Right. That's right. right. That's a, that's a very strong read, very strong read. But look, I, I guess the, 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 the question here, this, this story kicks it up right away because it is so old that it's like, really we're imagining the very first humans this is the very first set of brothers and it ends badly it ends in a murder and i guess i guess it raises the question is there is there something natural about sibling rivalry is there something inherent to being brothers is this a part of who we are that we, we're always going to be at odds with our siblings you think that's true it does seem that the Bible is toying with these ideas in a way that feel foreign to me. Either the Bible has this weird take on brothers, or back in the day, brothers didn't have the same relationship they do now. And it was much more about, you know, it was much more succession uh, than, than it was like. Right. And, and in, a, in a way, that is what God actually says in the story, even though God is is part is like sort of causing the the tension when king gets upset god says don't be upset like you just do your thing and abel will do his thing like this is this is not a big deal and look i think you're right that um in the ancient world a lot of what it meant to be the like a a, a brother and especially to be the older brother it, there were the, all these questions of inheritance and who was going to be the next leader of the family and who was going to have um, significantly even like who was going to inherit more than the other brothers, the double portion. And I think a lot of people assume that these stories are about, I think the word is primogeniture, like you, the first child would inherit more and the Torah doesn't think that's fair and means to undermine that. So that's like one read on it, but it does seem like it's deeper than that. It seems like the stories themselves aren't just stories about ethics and making sure that you know the person who deserves it inherits instead of just the person who's older but that actually there's this there's this emotional like the, the, this these these stories are charged with such jealousy and rage and and I mean they they lead to not just competition but to murder that it really feels like the Torah is trying to tap into something really um really uh toxic here something that is that is deep deep in these 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 sibling relationships that can go terribly terribly awry i mean it is pretty wild that the first brothers in human history killed one another i mean one of them the first ones ended in a murder right like the first murder <laughs> you could say it the other way the first murder ever came from the first brothers ever yeah and and i've never killed you that's true. I if anyone's gotten closer to killing the other one, it was me to you. Right. Although I was I was stronger, so that never happened. You were so that you were happened. stronger, but I had less limits, and so we kind of evened each other out, which was kind of a nice. It was a a nice homeostasis between us. I was willing to use right. weapons, and you would hold me down. So uh, you you would actually yeah you would th you threw hard objects at me. That was my move. I believe you gave me a bloody nose once, actually. I'm admitting yeah, that now was on, on a podcast. 
I was giving you a bloody, I was pretty proud of myself, I gotta say. That was like, that was, I think because I held you down and I was like suspending a loogie above your face. And then I think it may have dropped into your face. A lot like the ancient biblical tales, you gave me, you gave me a double portion of loogie. Yeah, that's right. Um, But I don't know, those, like those stories and most siblings have them of just, of actually fighting when you're kids. Those stories suggest that maybe there is something, like the person that you're that close to and spending all this time with and you're young, like that it can get violent, that it can get antagonistic just on a basic like kids like squabbling level. And I, you know, and then it like sets the stage for a deeper kind of conflict. No, because they're all jealousy related. Every one of them, right? I mean, is there one of these horrible sibling rivalry stories it isn't about people getting jealous of the attention and shine that the other person is getting well that's a good question because it that that is a major theme is the favoritism and the jealousy that it produces and as i've suggested in a way that's already present here in the cain and abel story god being the the quote-unquote parent that favors but the if there is an exception to that it's it, it might be the next major sibling rivalry story in the torah which is the rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac, right? A- Abraham's two sons. Um, and, and and so the story goes that um, Sarah and Abraham are for a long time unable to conceive. And at a certain point, Sarah s- suggests to Abraham, oh, you know, this is like the hand, the original Handmaid's Tale, like, oh, you should sleep with my handmaiden. It's instead Hagar um, and, you know, I'll, she says, I'll be built up through her. Like, it's not exactly clear what she means by that. But on some level, what she's saying is, we can't have kids. So why don't you have kids with Hagar? And it's Abraham does it. It's called compersion, David. In the polyamory community, we call, call that compersion, which is you get great pleasure out of your partner getting great pleasure. So she's like, I'll be built up. You know, I'll be satisfied if you just uh, go be with the handmaid. That, that'll, it's, it's the original cuck story, to be honest. This is a this is a new read on the Abraham the, on the our founding family is that they were right. kind of freaky. So, so my my take on Cain and Abel is that God was paleo. My take on um, Sarah Abraham and Hagar is that they were poly, and poly relationships often end compli- in a complicated way, and it's all about com- communication. But anyway, so so Abraham has this child, Ishmael, and and you know by 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 all accounts, Abraham loves this child. It's very clear that Abraham expects, okay, it worked, and now I've got a son. And then miracle of miracles, God says, okay, but now actually I'm going to um, allow you and Sarah to conceive, and you're going to have this child, and this child's actually going to be the significantly the inheritor of the covenant, and that's Isaac, and. Um, there, this, the, the, this is going to set up a, a battle or a tension between Isaac and Ishmael, but it's actually interesting that this story is, is one in which Isaac and Ishmael themselves are not really at odds. Like the tension is all around them and their parents are, they're, are jostling for which of them will be the inheritor and their, um, Sarah gets jealous of Hagar and um, maybe Hagar was like sort of had taken on heirs now that she had an inheritor and Abraham is stressed out in the middle. But Isaac, first of all, is, is just a baby when Sarah demands that Hagar and Ishmael are sent off. 
And, you know, God ends up saying, look, you know, um, Isaac, listen to Sarah, Isaac's going to be the inheritor of the covenant, again, the, the younger child, but Ishmael's going to be a great nation also. And like all of that is playing out sort of, you know, apart from Ishmael and Isaac, they, they're not, they don't seem to be jealous of one another or in competition with one another. And it's almost like the, the world around them insists that they be at odds. Right. Do they even meet? They do. I mean, uh, one of the interesting things is, you know, to make to make the point of them not having tension even stronger is that they we see them come together to bury Abraham at the end of his life. So it, and and that's after Sarah's died. It sort of seems like once the parents are out of the way, they actually wanted to be brothers. Right. But it's still dealing with this theme of like. Inheritance and jealousy and who gets what it's like. I think that's so weird because we don't think of brother relationships like that at all anymore. Like that brothers or siblings are inherently fraught with jealousy and that's intrinsic in the relationship. I wonder though, like you say we don't at all, but I'm thinking of like succession, you know, the, the, the show succession. It's like, we don't at all, but we don't, we don't come from a rich family. But like, maybe if there was something that like one of us could be, I don't know, the next CEO or something, that it would be poisonous, that it would seep into. I mean, we did a, like in our family, you know, uh, when our father died, there was like, who's going to get this painting that he painted, right. you know? But what if he had like, you know, millions of dollars that he was sitting on? Like, would that have been even more tense? Well, I, I, I when I know people who's, parents die I always say things are going to come up around this death that you could have never anticipated in terms of greed and in terms of uh pettiness and struggle and maybe that is maybe that's where these ancient feelings these almost more I don't want to say primitive but it is kind of a lot of these stories do feel somewhat like sort of like tribal um maybe that's where the kind of tribal feeling starts to come out because I have noticed over and over again that when people die, no matter how petty the fortune is, the family starts to struggle around greed and fortune and what part of this do I get all the way to our own personal experience of our father dying and it literally being, I don't want to say junk because the, the stuff was very beautiful, but it certainly wasn't very valuable. Even that created this kind of like, where's my not actually between you and me but in the family uh dynamic right. interesting and kind of right. sort of beautiful. yeah that's yeah that's real as you speak of this kind of tribal primitive warlike mentality and here we are talking about isaac and ishmael it's hard not to think of of this story now in terms of the the modern conflicts that have descended from it. I mean, like Muslims claim Ishmael as their ancestor, their patriarch, and Jews claim Isaac. And there is this way, I mean, we all kind of agree on this. So there is this way in which though Muslims and Jews are, are cousins, like they're they're really they agree that they come from the same family. It's it's sort it's like chilling to see that that in a if Isaac and Ishmael themselves ended up managing to get along and reconcile their descendants are not doing so well at this point and and it does it does force me to wonder if there's something about these old sibling rivalry stories that that help us to understand 
or at least identified the kind of feuding that we see in the world that like Jews and, and Muslims participate in, or I don't know, like Russians and Ukrainians. Like it's always the people who are so close to one another that just hate each other the most. Mm, and we are literally still fighting a battle over the actual birthright. I mean, it's, it's not an abstraction. It's the same plot of land. I mean, it's- right. The, right. The, right. That was, was granted to one or the other, depending on which book you read in this story, uh, you know, because the Quran, I think I'm correct about this, has a different story of how this right. birthright was, uh, was meted out. So it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, if you were to hear these stories from the perspective of Ishmael, which you actually can, if you read the Quran, I think it's the Quran, uh, or, but if you were able to hear these stories from everybody else's perspective, you know, this is what the playwright would do. Right. Write the story of Cain and Abel from the perspective of Cain. Write the story of Joseph and his brothers, but from the perspective of the brothers, you know, why <laughs> there would probably be a different narrative. Right, right. And, we, and you're right. And in a sense, we have that different narrative in, the, in Islam, right? Who, they, you know, they really see that the, the, the covenant passed through to Ishmael and then on to eventually to Muhammad. So and it's like we're literally the the skirmish is over the same thing that that was being negotiated in this story. Like, right and and you would think that you know that the solution would be oh great I mean I don't mean to sound pollyannish here but like we're all related like we all want to be on this land and we are you know essentially brother we're cousins right so this is so great we all get to be one big happy family and yet there's some sense that, you know, it, it's either me or you. It's, it's such an, a zero-sum game, the, these questions of inheritance. Like, you're going to get that, and then I'm not. And it's not just that I don't have the stuff, although that's obviously a part of it. It's also, like, it's what it says that I didn't get the stuff. It's, like, some great condemnation of who I am, that I didn't inherit the covenant, the land, the property, the... It is, you know, it it has all of the the toxicity of greed, but it's it's something much um, more uh, emotionally volatile than that because it well, it speaks yeah. about love. Exactly, it's I didn't get the like none of this seemingly none of these stories are actually about the stuff at all. They're all about the the favor. I mean, the first story, Cain and Abel, it's literally just God's like, oh, I like lamb. I mean, <laughs> you know, and that's the tension. The tension is like. And to that, I think we kind of kind of can make a parallel to modern sibling relationships, which is that you feel with your siblings that you are in competition for your parents' love. And that's what it's about. Like right. Joseph, and not to get ahead of us, but the Joseph thing, the Isaac thing, all of this is just about who is thinking you're awesome and worthy and valuable. It's really right. all about like a little kid wanting to be like, acknowledged but okay but so eventually i mean the 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 drama um it, it, like comes about when jacob who is you know this guy sitting in in tents is also very crafty he gets esau to sell him his birthright and he eventually tricks uh isaac into into giving him the blessing which seems like another form of the birthright but they are very different we hear that at the beginning and then the other thing we hear right away is that um, that Isaac 
loved Esau, partially because he was a hunter, like that, that, that appealed to Isaac, his character. And, uh, and then it says, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So it's like really stark, like the, you have these two parents and it's the Torah tells us that one, it doesn't just say favorite, one loved this one and one loved that one. And so there's this, there's this real tension that like the parents themselves are, are, are kind of setting up there um, by playing favorites between these two kids. And that, you know, to your point, that really, you know, that really gets to the, to the, to the question of how much sibling rivalry is really just a, an outcome of, I don't know, bad parenting, um, you know, uh, un, unwise parenting. I mean, uh, you could ask here too, is it inevitable? Like, do, do parents just end up liking someone more or is it, is it, is it bad parenting? Is it like, you gotta, is the Torah telling us you gotta warn against this because it leads to violence essentially? Well, it, it's weird because in our family, um, it was very clear that both of our parents favored me and liked me more. And no, no. You have to ask yourself the question at that no. point is the problem with the child that is unloved. No. You got to blame no, that. So. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's something to think about biblically. This is false. This is false. But I will tell you that something that is true, which is that it is probably fair to say both neither of our parents would have ever said that they loved one of us more. Uh, or favored one of us more, but like I think we had the sense that that dad favored me and that like mom favored you. That like one of us got more attention from one parent and one of us got more attention from the other parent. And I don't know if it put us at odds, but it definitely shaped us. I mean, I'm like still my, our dad was the religious one. I'm still like doing that stuff, you know. Like I I, I don't know. Like th there there is something there about how parents can't help but you know like I think mom was a real loving caretaker and you were like kind of a wild child and she was just zoned in on that like you were her focus and it's just like the way it when dad was you know this religious guy and I was attracted to that like it all none, nobody was being conscious about it but there is there is a little bit of a sense that oh I ended up being more dad's kid and you end up being more mom's kid I mean do you think that's fair to say well no I I always thought dad really liked me. I'm kind of feeling, Ooh. I'm kind of feeling, you know, mm. gutted and, um, and really shocked by this emotionally. No, I think that is fair. And it occurs to me as we're talking about it, that, well, what is parenting? Parenting is a lot of things, a lot of beautiful things. But one of the bad things you could say is, it is the ultimate form of narcissism, Right is like, you know what would be better, you know what would be good in the world is more me. I'm going to create a little me because me needs to be running around. Like, how about me in the world? And then the parent goes, you know which are these kids I like more is the me, the me one, is the, is the most me one. And I would say it's pretty fair to say that you, dad favored you because, not because you were awesome, because I think we all know that's not true, Maybe your listeners have like a view of you that's kind of false because I know that you do like a constructed character of the rabbi guy. But in, I in, am awesome, listeners. But in I am awesome. Don't you worry. In reality, we all, you and I know you're a very toxic person. But like dad saw <laughs> himself, himself in you. And I think mom didn't just see 
a wild child in me, she saw her own wildness and her own, you know, it was like she identified with me. And this, that's being said explicitly in the, in the um, Esau, uh, uh, Isaac, Esau, Jake, wait, who is it? Jacob, right? Is that, is that Isaac liked Esau because he was like, oh, that guy's like me, you know? And, and probably the context would be, that that mom felt the same way about Jacob or Jacob? Am I saying that? Joseph? Jacob? Yeah, Jacob. I don't yeah. know the Bible. Now you're getting it all confused, <laughs> which is I think the way the Torah is meant to work. Like, is it me? Is it Jacob? Is it mom? Is it Rebecca? Yeah. So that's interesting. Right. You know, a lot of this is there's some there's some very um, ugly stuff happening in these stories. The very petty, actually. That these are I was struck reading that these are our patriarchs. And a lot of this is really selfish and cruel and petty. It's just like, oh, I like this kid. Oh, I like that offering. That seems cool. Like, not only is the next big drama, right? The, 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 the next big sibling rivalry story of Joseph and his brothers, that all starts because Jacob explicitly favors Joseph. It says, Mikol Banav. He, they had 11, 11 other sons, 12 other children, and he favored Joseph the most and gave him that famous coat. So like, after all that that Jacob's been through and fleeing from his brother, suffering the consequences of, of sibling rivalry, he nevertheless chooses one kid and says, you're you're the one he does it again. Like later on, um, Joseph is like trying to get Jacob to bless his two sons and Jacob blesses the youngest one first. And Joseph says, no, dad, don't do that. You're, this is like, can we break the cycle here? And Jacob just seems fixated on that. And there's something about then the Torah that's like fixated on like, no, 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 this is important to us and it will be the younger one. And we are attached to the trickiness that leads to this sort of like surprising twist in like this brother getting ahead. And like, there's something about, it's not a clean like, and so in the end we realize we all love each other, but actually like it keeps grinding away at this, like, no, 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 too bad. The younger one has to inherit, too bad. It has to go through one person and not the other. It's very strange. Yeah, well, if I were trying to come up with a um, rabbinic take on this, you know, for my please, sermon, please, we could say something like, I don't even know if I believe this, this might be hogwash, but well, we don't do hogwash. But speaking of hogwash, all of these stories come before God liberated the Jewish people from Egypt and gave them the Torah, right? And so all of maybe the, what they're saying is like before this time of redemption and like this code, uh, people saw love and attention and birthright as these finite uh, commodities that you either got more of or you got less of. And maybe uh, we're all, this is all leading us to Egypt. Maybe when God took us out of Egypt and gave us the Torah, we all learned because uh, we all encountered God in that moment, right? Right? You like this so far? Moshe, this all, is very rabbinic. Jewish, this is warming my Jewish heart. People, the old Jewish people encountered God and realized in that moment at Sinai that there was a source of infinite love and that the birthright to the Jewish people was in fact infinite and not beholden to worldly concerns. And that that is what, that is what changed us is when we realized that there is an unlimited source of love and uh, and favor and, and just that, as you that, are realizing in this moment it sounds to me that the, that source of infinite love is is embedded in the torah and you're inspired and going to continue studying for the rest of your life i love this this has been a really 
a great experience of bending you to my to my path to my will um no but i actually i think that that's actually a very very strong read of the movement from genesis into exodus i mean it is no coincidence that all of these sibling rivalry stories that we focus on are in the book of of genesis and that like the book of genesis ends with with um very dramatically with joseph reconciling with his brothers and in doing that that's sort of how we become a people like the family comes together and thereby like the the people of israel become a thing like that the, the the our our people are called the children of Israel, right? So it's like the children, the siblings, the brothers, and that does set the stage for um for the kind of the birth of this nation, right? And, and I think you're right that the that the ethics and the theology of like you know God loving everyone and everyone being responsible to one another uh, are some of the messages of Exodus. But I'll just add to that an, another thing, which is that Exodus is also um, a, a story that is sort of guided and led by, you know, Moses and Aaron and Miriam and like these siblings that actually do support each other and get along with each other. And like, that's actually, it's, it's a striking contrast to everything we've seen so far. They don't have to work past any issues. They seem to immediately be happy to see each other and support each other and play different roles. And it's a very, suddenly we've got like Moses and Aaron, like, like are the antithesis of Cain and Abel. Well, actually, I'd take it a step further. I think you're going to like this one, David. Uh -huh. Which is that these all of the siblings we meet in Genesis have this tension that is br always broken, right? It never gets better between Cain and Abel, obviously, because Cain murked Abel. So you can't get better from that. Ishmael and and Abraham, even though they come together, they still have this sort of endless struggle. Ishmael um, Isaac, yeah. Excuse me. And 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 Esau and, and Jacob, same thing. But in the, the Joseph story, you end that tale with Joseph making amends. And it it's solved. The psychological problems are 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 closed in a way in that story. Right. Which right. it's like that the legacy, the trauma legacy of sibling rivalry actually ends with Joseph accepting his brothers again. And that psychologically is what, you know, if you were looking at this thing for themes, that psychologically could be that by the time Moses and Aaron and Miriam come around, there's a new idea of what it means to be a sibling because Joseph made peace with everybody. Well, yeah, that's that's right. And and what you were saying before about like God being a source of of infinite love that everyone can share in feels very relevant here, too, because, yes, they reconcile and they hug each other and all seems well. But at the very end of the book of Genesis, Jacob dies and suddenly uh, Joseph's brothers are are anxious. They think like, oh, now that Jacob's gone, he's going to get us back for everything we did to him. And they say like, please, like, don't, you know, please forgive us, like, and for our father's sake. And he says, it, it, no, like, don't worry about any of that. God was guiding all of this all along. Like, I, you, you thought you were selling me to Egypt, but actually God brought me here to like, there's some larger vision. And that's sort of part of who Joseph is. He's like, his theology is like, God controls everything. But there's kind of a message in there that like, you know, it, like 
we're so attached to the like competitiveness and the struggle for ascendancy in our little lives, in our little family, in our little relationships. But there's like a bigger picture here. There's like a higher force. And like, we can all attach ourselves to that force and we can all be a part of the same vision. And I, I think you're right that that sets them up for a kind of a, for what eventually becomes Judaism, you know, like some idea that even though we, we still have to wonder why God wasn't, you know, wasn't exactly sharing the love equally in the Cain and Abel story. Maybe God learns too. I don't know. But like at this point, like there's some idea that, you know, God, we're all the children of Israel, but really we're all the children of, of God and we're all equal in that sense. Well, couldn't, I mean, look, if you were writing a story about this, like, you know, with these foreshadowing themes, like, couldn't you go further and take Joseph's ultimate theology, which, uh, which is, you know, that this was all destiny. Couldn't you superimpose that into the other stories that not only was it meant to be that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because it led the Jews to, to eat, led Joseph to Egypt and led the Jews there that led Moses to lead them to blah, blah, blah. But also didn't Cain have to slay Abel so that this tension of sibling rivalry, uh, you know, right. trickled down to Abraham and into Isaac and into Esau and into, you had to have this theme of sibling rivalry to get Joseph to Egypt, to get the Jews out of Egypt in the first place. Without that tension, then they, Joseph and his brothers probably would have been able to have a conversation about how he was showing off his coat too much and then nothing ever happens. The, the no, story that, ends there. That's right. That's right. Like all of these things lead to the next things. And they're, you know, that's why it's such a good book. Like it's kind of. I would say best book ever. But yeah, no, I think um, it's also true that, that, you know, one way to read Genesis is that it's like, it's humanity, like, coming of age, maturing, like that you, you, we use the word primitive when we're talking about Cain and Abel and it's kind of meant to be like, this is like, these are our, our stories of like the earliest formations of people just asking when, when he says, am I my brother's keeper? In a way he's like, I don't even know what a brother is. Like there hasn't been any brothers. Like we're just figuring out what it means to live together. And so like you, you can read these stories as like just continuing you know, failed attempts, but like struggling to figure this thing out. How do we all live together? And maybe by the end of, of Genesis, they're starting to, to figure that out. And, and I'll add to that, that if the humanity is maturing through the stories of Genesis, there's some parallel that, that occurs to me in the way that like we also, as children, like in our movement from children to adults, like we have to to mature and to come to, I mean, you know, when I think about um, our childhood and our fighting and our closeness, I mean, I think we we fought like 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 most kids do, but also we were close because we were in the same house and we loved each other and all that, but we didn't get like especially close until we were young adults, until we could really come to know each other and become friends with each other. And that was like, that's a process. And, you know, Moses and Aaron, you know, uh, on that note, it says when they went to Pharaoh, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83, which is kind of interesting too. Like they're also older, wiser people. And and maybe through reading Genesis, like we're meant to become older and wise. I mean, I don't know. Do you think that's true? That like to a certain extent, 
Like we had to be adults in order to be as close as we are now. Well, I think that jealousy and uh, the desire to be loved is a much more acutely felt emotion when you're a kid, when you're not self-sufficient and when you haven't become come into your own. I mean, uh, this theme keeps going, which is the same thing was true with the whole nation. The nation was immature. The nation was young. The nation was unstable. You know, I mean, when you go to Abraham, Joseph and Isaac, you know, what are the Jews? They're just some weird band in the desert. They're not a nation. They're like a tribe that it barely, own, it barely owns their peoplehood, you know, and so they're maturing too, you know, it's not until they receive the, uh, according to its own mythology, it's not until the Jews receive the Torah and leave Egypt that they actually become a nation. Before that, they were just Abraham and his like, and his family, but God keeps going, don't worry, you're going to be like the stars, you know, you're going to be so numerous and powerful or whatever which implies that they weren't numerous and they weren't powerful. They were right. immature, young. Right. And right. I think there's something to that. And like, what do Jews, you know, call each other, you know, in Israel, you know, you often people call you like, Achi, my brother, you know, it's like the, this thought of, of the Jews as a like cohesive family of people. Um, other cultures have that too, but like definitely Jews have it. Like if you're Jewish, you're, you're one of my people too. Yeah, and, and, and yet, like, there's so much infighting still among the Jewish people. Like, this idea that we're like, we're all siblings, but we just tear each other apart and hate each other. Like, we have not, if there's maturing to be done, we haven't, we haven't fully done it yet. You know, we're like still working on like, yeah, we see ourselves as one big family, but it's not always one big happy family, you know? Right. And then, you know, and then beyond that, I mean, if I was to be rabbinic um, here on this for a moment, I would say that like, yeah, we have to learn how to live together with our own siblings. And then like, maybe as a people have to learn how to live together. Certainly like in this country, you know, like you can feel how Americans have not learned to, to live together. But I think like you can keep moving up levels until like, if, yeah, event, maybe you, you mature to the point where you can function together as one, one family and then one people and one nation. But we, we the, the final maturation is can we coexist as one great human family like the the war between Ishmael and Isaac is still going on like can we mature past that like can we love our brother you know like as Isaac and Ishmael managed to, to reconcile as Joseph and his brothers managed to reconcile like can we do that now with our own uh, uh Esau's and and Ishmael's and and like the, the that now now are entire peoples well, let me Google, let me really quickly Google what's happening in Israel and I can give you your answer. <laughs> Resounding no. But I think the good news is that this story, these stories seem to be uh, optimistically moving towards a greater unity. And in fact, in a non-religious way, uh, climate change being the great equalizer that makes all of this kind of null and void, but human beings are... <laughs> very slowly moving toward greater unity by any kind of rubric. I mean, we're in a bit of a setback at this particular time in history. But if you look at the course of human history, we are slowly becoming more unified as more cooperative, more. So in a long enough timeline, you one would hope 
that, yeah, the ultimate goal, which is to not even see yourself as us and them, but to see us all as, as one family. Right. And, and I guess I would say, you know, we, uh, we kind of set mom and dad up as if they, they were playing into all of this by like choosing one or the other. But the truth is like on some bo bottom line, like some basic level, you know, mom and dad both expressed that they loved us both and that we should love each other and be like, you know, good to one another right. and, and, and indeed be like our brother's um, keeper. And, and they get some credit for that. Like we had that ethic and, if, you know, when we eventually did get um, much, I guess we were always close, but like a, to be close as adults feels like a kind of a, 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 a legacy, like a tribute to the, to that, to that value that they instilled in us. And I think that that being able to love your brother, your sister, sets you up to feel that sense of deep trust that someone's really got my back, someone is my my keeper and looking out for me. It sort of sets you in the same way that having a loving parent, like in a deep, you know, sort of on, on, at the, on the next level, the next generation, you have peers that love you, that you, that you grew up with, that understand you. And that I think that orients you towards like a, a possibility that you could be in loving relationship with all of your, your human peers. Like, I think it sets you up well. So yeah. I love you, Mosh. I love you too. Well, this dialogue that we've had the last hour brought me that much closer to finally seeing you as a full human being. I'm not there yet, mm. but I, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting there. And when I get into ketosis, I feel like it's possible that I will see you as a real human being, David. Well, I really, I really, uh, that, that, that's very touching. I really appreciate that. And for me, it's just been meaningful um, to hear you come to recognize the truth of the Torah, of divine revelation, and to, I think, implicitly commit yourself to a life of strict religious observance. So well, this has actually, been a great hour, a great hour for me, You're going to be disappointed to know that what I came to believe was the truth of the Quran. And that is the narrative. <laughs> well, maybe so. that'll solve the problem. Maybe, maybe that's one ah. drop in the bucket of solving solving the problem. That's that's not a bad bad result either. Um, all right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. It's good to talk to you. Good to study Torah with you, Moshe. Good to have you as a brother. Right. Good to study Torah with you too. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we can stop here. But so should I have my agents send you a bill, or should I send that to your production? Like, who's paying me, and when do I get paid? Uh, I'm I'm willing to um, have you over for Shabbat dinner, um, some one of these weeks, and and I'll you can sit at my oh. table and listen to me hold forth on on more more Torah, which you you've come to love. I honestly thought that this was a paid gig, or I wouldn't have agreed to do it. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and Vera Blossom. Our theme song is Baruch HaMakom by Hillel Tige. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ikar.org and donate or Venmo us at ikarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.